You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. So glad you chose to join us uh, this morning and on this Christmas Sunday. It's a great day to be here. Thank you, Susan, for reading that uh, uh, um, wonderful Advent reading. Uh, she's actually written each one of those each week, and it's been neat to see uh, just the, how that ties into the message and how we go forward. So take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Bible book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. We're going to look at the story of the wise men today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, our wonderful ushers have a stack of Bibles in their hand. If you want to borrow one for this morning, just wave at them, uh, and they'll be happy to let you. That's a loner, uh, so just leave it there when you're done. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, and you don't, you don't have a ways means to get one, uh, feel free to go in the, after the end of the service and get in the back lobby there, go to the desk and say, hey, I'd like a Bible. Don't get one for you or some extra Christmas gift you want to give to somebody. <laughs> you just take it for yourself and, and go from there. Also, I encourage you to take out of your um, a worship folder the notepad, or the notepad, the note uh, um, page that's in there. Uh, there's lots of things in your worship folder that... Uh, prayer card, uh, um, we'd love to have, pray for you. Uh, if you have a prayer request, please fill it out if you haven't done it already. Uh, then, then all that uh, um, Susan Peterson talked about, about the service opportunities for uh, Christmas are in this little flyer here saying Merry Christmas to you all. And then, of course, the flyer for uh, handing out to your friends to invite them to Christmas Eve is there. But do take out the, the note uh, page there, and there's some blanks to fill in. Those answers will be up on the screen. And as I do, I give out a lot of extra verses, and so that's why one of the reasons why we've created this uh, study guide. Every uh, Sunday, we usually have one of these, and it's, it's our life group. We have a lot of life groups, small groups that meet, and they do a sermon-based study that goes a little bit deeper than what you got on Sunday morning, and gives an opportunity to kind of talk it out. And and that and that's that's here. You can also use it for personal study. But on the back of that are all the fill-in-the-blank answers, plus all the extra verses. Uh, that I give out uh, through the sermon. And so if you're feverishly writing some down, just pick one of these up. It'll help, help for you. Um, I do also uh, put out a um, weekly email. Some of you get that. And some of you actually see it in the paper because the, our, our local papers have picked those up. And every now and then they publish a few of those. But if you'd like to receive one of the uh, weekly emails, just put on one of those cards. Hey, I want to get Pastor Mike's weekly email. Make sure your uh, email address is legible. And then we'll, we'll send you on to that list and it, it gets you that uh, weekly uh, uh, post that we put out there, but I encourage you with that. Now, um, Christmas is a wonderful time, all, all full of uh, traditions and stuff like that. And I know that each one of us has some unique traditions that we do. You have traditions, right? Christmas traditions that you do, right? How many of you do the hide the pickle thing? No, nobody? My wife, that's it. That's it. <laughs> You know, I haven't found that. Is it? Do we have the pickle? You haven't found. I, seen it. I know. See, that's the whole thing. You lose the pickle. Who? The idea behind that is it's supposed to have a pickle ornament, and you put it on the tree, and the first person that finds it gets something like you know another present, or gets to open it first, or something like that. I, it just never really worked at our house. Um, I thought it was supposed to be a real pickle. Uh, then I found that it was an ornament. So that some of you others have. Uh, um, other Christmas traditions, like uh, any of you do Christmas jammies? Yeah, yeah, those are fun, Christmas jammies. Uh, it's always fun to have those. That's a great idea. And, and there's all, I'm sure there's all kinds of other traditions you do. Some, some of you do that elf on the shelf. I'm, I'm not, I'm really not sure about that. It's, it's kind of creeps me out a little bit. Um, 
But there's the elf on the shelf, and others of you have different uh, specialty foods that you do. Uh, we, um, we, uh, Christy is a, a Scandinavian, Swedish, Danish, and Norwegian uh, in her, and so we have these um, these round Danish pancakes called Abelskivers. <laughs> yeah, they are so good, and and they're made, you know, they're round, and and they're made with cardamom and. Our um, our oldest daughter is not going to be with us for Christmas uh, this year. Hey, you know, no one told me we had to share. She's with her other family this Christmas, and and I I'm, I'm still getting used to that part. And but uh, uh, she she couldn't. So we had a little family gathering yesterday morning, and Christy made Abel Skeever, and oh, the house just smelled so wonderful of that cardamom, and that you have those. I'm sure those special Christmas traditions, whether it's a you know, special Christmas baking cookies and stuff like that and, and things like that. We love those traditions. You know, I, I looked online and I just thought, of some, what are some fun Christmas traditions that are out there? And, and, and uh, one of them is in, you know, um, India, they don't have pine trees. So instead they decorate a banana tree. It's kind of a unique thing. Uh, I thought about that. That would be kind of fun. And you can plant in the garden and have bananas. It would be great. Uh, and in, in, uh, in Japan, um, kind of one of their traditions is they go to KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken in Japan. It's a big thing at Christmas time, and Dory and Takeshi, our missionaries to Japan, say, oh, yeah, it is a big deal, Kentucky Fried Chicken on, on Christmas meal. And then the one I love, this is a new one I found from Slovakia, is they make this uh, pudding, this very thick pudding, and the eldest uh, male of the house takes a scoop of it and hucks it up on the ceiling. And if it <laughs> sticks, uh, it, that means it's really good pudding. So I think that's a great, I, I think it's kind of a fun tradition uh, to start in your family. Except I would not give it to the oldest male, I would give it to the youngest male and let them huck it to the ceiling and see what happens. Wouldn't that be a fun tradition to do? Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if it stays up there all year or if who scrapes it off the ceiling. And if you had the popcorn ceiling, it, that would just be a mess. You know, uh, one, we, we, have a, we have traditions, you know, we do the jammies, we do the Abel Skeever, and then uh, we kind of invented this, we actually stole it from another family, but, uh, and, and you guys know about this, many of you do, that we celebrate Christmas Adam, uh, you know, Christmas Eve, and then bef- the day before Christmas Eve is called Christmas Adam, because Adam came before Eve, yeah. at least that's my reality. And uh, it started with that that would be a time when we'd have uh, our kids would have uh, um, get to open a present that day. And I, to me, it was just an excuse for me because I, I love the whole present thing. And I just love the and I just love the excitement of kids opening gifts. And so I just wanted another opportunity to do that. And we did that. And, but then it turned into a whole thing. And now we have a big party on that day. And it's a fun, fun tradition we do that, that whatever it is. So whatever your tradition tends to uh, tends to be. It is valued, you know, whether it's that special ornament, you know, that special ornament uh, or, or those things, the crafts your kids made in school or special baked goods or family outing. Uh, we take the time to preserve and to honor and adore and, and push aside much to experience these traditions. Uh, and it's all a great example of us making room for Jesus. Now, we've been going through a, a, a series all Christmas long entitled, you know, Let Every Heart Prepare Him Room, taking a line from the song, Joy to the World. That really, if we don't prepare to take, prepare our heart for room for Jesus, it just doesn't going to happen automatically. And so we've been talking each Sunday about how to best prepare him room. And, and this idea that we need to... Uh, 
take that time, just like a Christmas tradition, and, and take the time to, to uh, um, open ourselves up to that tradition is important, and to push things aside and to honor it is important. And, and for in God's story, Jesus is made room for, and he's actually central in that story, God's story where he created all that we see and, and put it into motion and created plants and animals and beings on this earth and, and created mankind and gave him the freedom of choice. And, and unfortunately, he chose not to go God's way, and that created a huge separation between man and God. But part of God's story is the story of redemption and restoration, and Jesus is central in that. You see, God has made... Uh, room for Jesus in his story and we should make room for him in our lives. Jesus is valuable enough for us to preserve, honor, adore, push aside much to experience him for it is a good thing to make room to worship the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas time. Psalm 95 verse 3 to 6 says this, for the Lord is great is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, his, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, and for he made it. In his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. Psalm 86, verses 8 to 10 says it this way. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And he is well deserving of our exclusive worship, our high honors as we bow before him, adoring and praising and, and praising his wonderful works, worshiping him in our words and actions as we serve him, living out his will and way in our lives. Jesus, Messiah, the Christ deserves our worship. So how do we make room for worshiping Jesus. Three ways we can learn from the wise men who came to worship Jesus on that day in the Christmas story. So let's explore this story. But before we do, if you would mind setting your books aside and standing up for a bit, and let's ask God to meet with us in this short time together. I'm glad you're here. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come before you and, and, and to look into your word this morning. And God, I pray, even though it's a familiar story about these wise men coming, uh, Lord, help us to gain from this this morning. Help us to learn how we might be more open to worship you, even this Christmas. Challenge us, encourage us, walk us through this, Lord, and, and, and Holy Spirit, do some work in our hearts, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You can have a seat, and I encourage you to keep your notes out there as we go through this this morning. Three ways we can... Uh, make room for worship of Jesus, the first way is to be moved to worship. Uh, hopefully your Bible is there and you can open up to Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at the first few verses. Now after Jesus was born, now this wasn't exactly after like the shepherds came and all of that. I know this familiar in the Christmas story that the wise men showed up, you know, just a few hours after the shepherds, but they didn't. It was more like a few years some even say up to five years after Jesus was born. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, <clears throat> in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now that word come means yes, to arrive, but it also means to be moved, 
to be compelled to have this inner sense that, oh, I just got to go. Not, not like I got to go, <laughs> but, but the got to go because there's something, I need to see this incredible thing that's there, much like the shepherds who, when hearing from the angels, they had to go the same way these wise men were moved. Now, they were not Jews who knew the traditions. They were very learned men who had studied ancient writings, including the ancient scriptures. Uh, they're called magi, uh, kingmakers, uh, these were the learned men that every kingdom would want to have to be part of their kingdom. Uh, they knew agriculture. Uh, they knew uh, uh, all the whole agribusiness and, and, and animal husbandry. And they understood how the flow of water went to bring water into a city and sewage out of the city. Uh, they understood how to use wind power to power windmills and, and things like that. They had very learned, learned men and every kingdom wanted these kings. As a matter of fact, they were considered kings. People would bow before them because they had such honor, because they did such amazing things. It's, it was a lot like magic, and it was just mostly science. And they knew about these things. As a matter of fact, if you want to learn more about them, you can read about them in the Bible book of Daniel, because actually Daniel was one of them. And that's why we think most likely these particular wise men had access to the ancient scriptures because Daniel included that in all the ancient writings from Babylon, included the ancient writings of Yahweh, of God. All those Old Testament books and the prophets had they come together. He had, these wise men had studied them. And they had noticed over 300 predictions and prophecies of this king as they studied they had to go see this king. They most likely studied Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and Isaiah chapter 4, verse 17, that this king would be from a virgin birth. Now, that had never happened before, and it never will. It has never gone on. And they were thinking, wow, this is incredible. This, these scriptures say it's going to be a virgin birth. So We've got to go see this happen. And then, and then, and then it's not only that, that, that this one born would be called Emmanuel which means God with us. See, in that time in the ancient world, all the deities uh, were, were all very separate. Never would they come down to earth to be with common man. And yet here, this deity was going to come down and be with mankind. They had to see. They might have read Exodus 3, verses 13 to 14, where Moses encounters God in the bush, the great I am. This Yahweh, whose name permeates all throughout the scriptures. This awesome and ominous name of a, of a God who is a God above all gods. The I am. The one that never was created but always is. Oh, they had to see this one. They'd also probably read Isaiah and, and the whole idea that a son would be given, a, uh, uh, the government would be upon his shoulders and he'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They were compelled, they probably further read in Isaiah that, that man has a problem. This idea, this separation, as Isaiah 59, 2 says, our sins have separated us from God and yet in Isaiah 53, 5, that this one, this king, would save humanity from their plight of sin. By his stripes, he would be healed. Uh, they were amazed at that and maybe even read Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, where it says, he's a God who does not change. This deity doesn't change. It's the same today, tomorrow, and always. They had to go. Uh, regardless of the expense and the efforts to prepare, they had to go. 
They had to find this incredible one born king of the Jews. They were motivated. They came. I know when I heard of of this Jesus, there was something about his love that was compelling. There was something in the fact that that he would come and be born and and live among us. And, And as I learned about him more and more, I thought, wow, I've got to know this Jesus. And those of you who've come to faith, you felt that same thing as well, compelled to know him more, to know of his love and that life makes sense in him. Jesus, the awesome Lord God Almighty, for his might is unequaled. His majesty is unparalleled. His grace is matchless. His power is supreme. His care is permanent. And his love never ends. Jesus is the bread of life, the light of life, the good shepherd, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And I love how S.M. Lockridge so eloquently says, he's enduringly strong, he's entirely sincere, he's eternally steadfast, he's immortally graceful, he's imperally powerful, he's impartially merciful. Amen. Amen. That's Jesus. He's worth our worship. And as Dr. James Allen Francis wrote back in 1926 about Jesus, Though he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman, he grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30 when public opinion turned against him. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of those things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. His friends ran away from him. One denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, the executioners gambled for his clothes, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave to the pity of a friend. Centuries have come and gone. And today, Jesus is still the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. That's Jesus. Jesus is worth being moved to worship. The question is, will you? Will you for the first time, like these wise men who, who as, they, as they studied and heard about this amazing King of Kings and Lord of Lords, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, as they learned of it, they were compelled to move towards him. And maybe you're not quite sure about Jesus, but, but be compelled to move towards this amazing one that time centers, customs center around him. He is the central figure of history. He's worth our worship. Or continue to be moved towards him. You know, it's so easy these days to let everything else push into play and push us away from the awe of Christ. And how amazing and wonderful and awesome and incredible and beautiful and huge and loving Christ is. 
maybe it's time to, to come back to that important preserved worship. Jesus is worth the expense and the effort. The question is, will you? So much so is Jesus worth the, that worship that we are to be exclusive in worship. Look at our text again. Now looking at, at Herod. Herod was not exclusive in worship of Jesus. He, he feigned he was, but he really wasn't. Neither was Jerusalem at that time with him. Listen as I read. When Herod had heard of this, that these wise men had come looking for this king of the Jews, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people he had inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, you know, it's just like, of course we know where he's going to be born. Because they knew. They had it on the tip of their tongue because they had read the ancient scriptures. They had known of the prophecies and they were waiting, but yet not really. Bethlehem and Judea, for it is written as the prophet says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. (laughs) No. He didn't want to worship him. You find out what he really wanted to do by looking at verse 16. In verse 16, the wise men had left, gone a secret way, and you'll find out why in a moment, but um, he didn't know. He knew that the child was born, and so what he did is he had all the kids killed that were that age in all that area. See, he didn't want to exclusively worship Jesus. He wanted people to worship him, and so he sought to do and, and, and to destroy Christ, but yet God intervened. So yes, Herod was disturbed and the people of Jerusalem because they had been worshiping all kinds of other gods and idols besides God. And the truth is we tend to do the same because our hearts tend to be idol factories as Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller says. It's so because of this, the sin that we entered into and, and are born with and, and just as part of our DNA, we're constantly moved to, to make idols of all kinds of things in our life, including ourselves. And an idol is anything that takes the place of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our life. It, it's like the idea is that we want to be feel, feel fulfilled. And so instead of looking to God where we should look to, to find our fulfillment in his, because Christ is our sufficiency, yes, he is, if we let him, if we put him in that central place in our life. You know, Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the, the things in life, all the things we worry about in life will fall into place. Because when Christ is central, everything else aligns. But, but when we decide to put something else in that central place, that now becomes an idol when we put work in that central place, when we put uh, success in that central place, when we put materialism in that central place. And we kind of agree all those. Those things aren't that great. But we can also put good things in there like family, like a mate or grandkids. <laughs> Easy to do. <laughs> to gain fulfillment from that is when it becomes an idol. And yet we're to put our, our, our whole, find our whole 
fulfillment and our sufficiency in Christ. Because we can make an idol out of anything. Even serving God can be an idol. Ministry can be an idol. And that the Bible is clear in Exodus 20, verses 3 to 5, that there are, no, there are to be no other gods or idols in our life. First Chronicles 16.25 puts it this way. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be held in awe above all gods. That awe is an exclusiveness. In other words, there is no second. There's just that top spot. And everything else finds its place. This exclusivity means the Lord becomes paramount our highest affection, the first in influence and setting our aspirations and priorities and purposes in life. It requires humility, something Herod did not have, nor the people of Jerusalem, because they wanted to be their own God. They wanted to be the one calling the shots in their life. They didn't want to submit themselves to God, which says to, 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 to put God first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And in that commandment that Susan just read, that, that a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as Christ has loved us. You see, that God sets that priority for us. And sometimes we want to put our own priority in there. And that's when it becomes an idol. And, and yet, to be exclusive is to be like we are during the holiday season where we push aside other things to experience those valued traditions of life, of, of, our, of our Christmas season. And yet not just once a year, but, but we are to value God all the times and to push aside self and those idols so that we can have him in that one place. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy life at all but we, or the different traditions or things of that, but we continue to find our sustenance, our, our well-being, our, our purpose in him. That's how we make room for worship of Jesus, that exclusive worship. That's what your life is really needs one more way to make room for worship make room for worship of Jesus is to take some necessary postures of worship let's continue on in this uh, um, our text after listening to the king the the magi the, the wise men they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. <clears throat> three postures of worship that relate to the actions of the wise men and three key words of worship mentioned in the Old Testament. The first of these um, key words is, and key actions is these wise men bowed. Now that alone ought to just blow you away. Because as these this entourage of men would walk into, uh, uh, wise men would walk into any city or village. Uh, people would just come and would, would bow before them because they were of great honor. They had done huge honorable things and they knew so much and they were not used to bowing to anyone. When a king would come, they would just stand. Everybody else would bow, but nobody would bow. None of these wise men would bow to another king. 
And yet here, these men bowed. They, they humbled themselves saying, this one is deserving of honor. Yes, the time and the energy ex- expending to see Jesus, but they bowed. They said to Jesus, you are of such importance. Your honor is greater and I humbly bow before you that you are higher than I. You ever said that to Jesus? You are higher than I. That's a, that's a humbling state to be in, to bow yourself before him. The, this attitude of worship is like the Hebrew word barak. It means the same, but has with it an obedient submission, gratitude edge to it, a, a blessing factor where we seek to bestow on and towards God obedience, honor, and praise. And Psalm 95, 6 says it this way, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us come to that place in our life where we recognize that Jesus is higher than I. If, if that be so, then that means that, that his word is above mine. That means that his purpose is above mine. That means that his will is above mine. That means that his way of life is above mine. You, you kind of get the idea here? <laughs> Jesus is to be higher than I, higher than us. Bow to him. Bless him with your obedience, honor, and praise. That's a needed posture of worship in this arrogant, prideful world in which we live in. Next, the wise men worshiped. The word here means a, a further, further physical lowering, a, almost a prostrating yourself before uh, in honor and respect, a sign of, of full allegiance and submission. Much like the Hebrew word shakah, meaning much the same, but a greater emphasis on reverence and honor to that which is divine. Psalm 96 verse nine captures it this way. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. That trembling is in that sense of, of being in such reverent awe that you just are, are just, whoa, I'm in the presence of God. It's like being in the, I don't know if you've ever been in, into uh, the zoo or, or that and have, have been around a wild animal or now it's in a zoo, no, I guess it's not wild, but it's, it, there's a sense of, whoa, Remember one time we were at the San Diego Zoo, and even though we were near the the tiger's uh, cage, it roared, and I, and I thought I was going to wet my pants. That reverberation just sent a chill up and down my spine. Of whoa, I'm around something very powerful. It's like that with God, except the not the scared for your life feel. <laughs> it's that reverent respect where we tremble before him. Do you, do you really ever do that? Has that ever happened to you where you have trembled before God? Have seen how awesome and incredible and huge and powerful and amazing he is that you are just shaken, dropped to your knees, going, God, you are so amazing. I can't even believe right now. It's that sense of awe These wise men got it. 
they had gone through the scriptures and they realized that the one right before them is not just any being, one born of a virgin, but yet God himself, and I've got to bow down because he is God. They recognize that through looking through the holy scriptures, that he is worth all honor, much praise, and a life dedicated to his purpose and plan. They worshiped. See, worship isn't just singing a few songs. Worship is an attitude of the heart that says, shakah, the reverent respect of honor of the divine, awesome, holy Yahweh, God of everything. That's how we worship. That's a posture to take. The last of these three postures of worship is they presented their gifts. They sought to serve Jesus with their treasures They offered them for his use. That's the worship of service. To serve the Lord with their time, their talent, and their treasure. So yes, serving serving the Lord is worship, and so is giving to the Lord. Much like the Hebrew word abad means more like toil or, or work or being like a servant or a slave to a master, seeking the master's will and way. Psalm 100 verse 2 says it this way, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. That service, that, that being active involved, that active involvement doesn't make you righteous or change it. It's just simply an expression of your worship to God. I'm so amazed by how awesome God is that I've got to go do something for him. I'm compelled. I want to show in action my love for him. So I get involved in service. I serve his purposes and his plans and I I get about the the things that he wants me to get about. That's the worship of service. Some of your Bibles, when you read Psalm 100 verse two, it actually says, worship the Lord with gladness. It's the word abada, which means to serve the Lord with gladness, to get active in that. It's not just a a thought in your mind. It's actually an action with your hands and your feet. It's It's a movement towards being involved in what God does. That's worship. That's a posture of worship we should take. These three, uh, um, Barak, Shekah, Abad, they, they are, are all postures of worship that these wise men did so eloquently that we should too. Now, I'm not sure what your valued treasure and traditions are around Christmas, but the challenge this morning is to make room for worship of Jesus. Doing those same things of honoring and abiding and loving and pushing aside other things so that you can enjoy that tradition. Do the same thing with Jesus in worship. To be moved to worship. To be exclusive in worship. And to take on those postures of worship to bow in humility, to worship in obedience and to serve by presenting your time, talent and treasure to Jesus. That's how we make room for worship of Jesus this Christmas. The question is, will you?